In the episode of I Think Therefore I Fan you're about to listen to, we discuss the following works. Moon Knight, Civil War, and The Offer. You've been warned. Hello everyone and welcome to I Think Therefore I Fan, a pop culture and philosophy podcast. On this podcast, we'll explore the most compelling philosophical themes as we find them in all of everyone's favorite fandoms. We're your hosts. I'm Dr. Richard Green. And I'm Dr. Rachel Robison Green. everybody welcome nice to have you here so we're back for season nine back when it was season one nobody believed we would do this for nine seasons (laughs) except for us the only people who believed in us so i'm good to be back lots of fun things coming up this season Um, we've got a sort of exciting list of episodes so before we get into um details and all of that i'm going to say just a little bit about the music um, so we're, we're talking about, um, you know, Moon Knight in this episode, uh, a lot of good philosophical stuff going on there. And, um, the, the music track in the beginning, no way, in no way resembles the show. Right? Mm. Um, and usually, yeah, that's, that's exactly what we try to do. So I was thinking, you know, just some of the themes that we're going to talk about are kind of ominous and, you know, maybe that the more appropriate music would have been something that goes, so forth. But I just didn't want to start season nine that way. I wanted I wanted to be upbeat, so I, I went with the funky. Um, <laughs> I like how you're very reflective about the music that you pick. <laughs> you know, music is the only thing that matters. Um, and then, of course, philosophy and a bunch of other stuff. But yeah, you know, the music's important. <laughs> so it's been a while since we've had an episode and, well, you know, a whole summer. Yeah. Lots of, lots of things have happened uh, and we're set now to do comic-con again in september which should be fun we're actually talking about this very topic that we're mm-hmm. talking about in the podcast today yeah for those of you in the area it's the the one in salt lake city because right? these are mm-hmm. going on all over the place but um yeah later in september um, you know go to the fanex webpage and all of that salt lake fanex i think it's you know whatever the weekend that's over the you know 22nd to 24th or in that general zone yeah just show up some thursday friday saturday um <laughs> In late September, and you're bound to see something interesting. Well, we'd be more specific about our time, except for we haven't gotten it yet. Yeah, so right, right, just, yeah. We're no. waiting to hear our details, time and place. Maybe in the next episode. I think we have one more episode before Fanex. Um, yeah, should, yeah so definitely we'll, have one we'll more. we'll be more specific. Yeah, good, good. Let's, um, we'll remind ourselves to do that. So, yeah, it's been, um, like I said, a long time, kind of a crazy summer. Um, for me, the first half of the summer was just writing, writing, writing. Mm-hmm. I had a big deadline. Um and then the second part of it was um, going some places. Yeah. So, so we went, went. Went to Europe and now we're back at school. So time yeah. to hit the podcast again. Yeah. All right. So good. Um, Moon Knight. Why is that interesting? <laughs> well, because it has Oscar Isaac in it. Aha. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. And suddenly, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here all day going, why are we talking about Moon Knight? <laughs> I, I know it was good and I know it was interesting, but Rachel really wanted to talk about 
Oscar Isaac. <laughs> no, so I hear. So I hear. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so, yeah. Uh, I, I think there are lots of interesting issues explored in Moon Knight. Now, I'm really excited about it because I'm... Um, I'm teaching a superheroes and philosophy course this semester. We just had our first class yesterday. So maybe some of the students will be listening to this podcast. And- I, I got to say, I'm a little jealous that you're teaching that. Um, and you know, we, our schools are about an hour apart. And I actually thought about driving up to your school and just sitting in. But our teaching schedules for the first time ever are identical. Mm-hmm. I've got a 9 o'clock class, a mm-hmm. 10 o'clock class, you know, a 1 o'clock class. You have the exact same. Yeah. So that that's too bad. Um, so I'm going to put you on the spot and just ask you to put the whole class on Zoom so I can watch it. But don't don't <laughs> no share more it with Zoom. The <laughs> so you're you're zoomed out, huh? Yeah. Uh, that's going to be a really cool class. It's well, the students are great. So, um, and they're I I find they're you know they know a lot about different comic books. I went around the room and asked folks to talk about their favorite superhero, and they were. You know, there were some deep dives, uh, so, dive so deep I didn't know who they were talking about. So that's... So that's... Yeah, I, so I had a, a, just the opposite experience. I was um, I was talking to, a, I don't know if you guys heard that bell, I, I, you know, it's fall, Christmas is coming. I think that might have been Santa. It was our dog. That was our dog, yeah. I said, I knew it was one of the two. Well, anyway, so I'm talking to my class yesterday and you know, asking them sort of similar questions. And, and I asked them, you know, who do they thought was a better comedy writer, um, Buster Keaton or Stan Laurel? And, and only one person knew either of those people. Mm-hmm. So it seems like your class is more knowledgeable about pop culture. <laughs> contemporary pop culture. Aha, uh-huh, contemporary. <laughs> that's, that's the rub. Right? Yeah, so it's going to be a good class. We're going to talk about the first... The first three weeks are sort of related to these issues, like um, the question of what is justice, mm-hmm. and then this kind of question of what it is to save the world. Mm-hmm. Superheroes are always trying to save the world, but I don't know. You know, we, we kind of suspend our disbelief when it comes to uh, interpreting what that means. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, is beating the crap out of someone saving really world. saving the world? Is it really, I mean, it, uh, is, it, is it really punishing the bad guys? Um, yeah, you know, right. the, 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 the movie, um, um, Spider-Man No Way Home, um, explores this theme, I think in great ways. Maybe we've talked about this before, but, um, this general idea that a lot of the, um, the, the villains in superhero narratives are, um, have mental illnesses mm-hmm. right? and that may actually be causing, or, or, you know, if, if you think that, um, determinism undermines free will. If you think that um, the fact that your brain states were caused by other physical states over which you have no control, then if you, you know, um, get bitten by a radioactive spider or take a, a potion or, uh, or whatever, and it turns you into a, something else, right? Mm-hmm. It turns you into an animal or something. Then it, it's far from clear that you're now responsible for your actions right right, right. i mean there's, so, there's a whole great literature on the moral responsibility free will sort mm-hmm. of connection there and it, it's all very dubious mm-hmm. um yeah that that's interesting so um th- there are paradigm cases of saving the world right so again you know i always end up going to the avengers and endgame or whatever you know if what you did is go back in time and stop someone from destroying the world yeah, you know, like the case of Thanos, right? Uh-huh. 
sure, you saved the world. Uh-huh. Um, but Thanos thinks he's saving the world. Yeah, well, he does too. I mean, yeah, there's there's a healthy debate about you know, yeah. um, and and we actually discussed this in an earlier episode about whether what you know Thanos was doing was morally justified in some sense. But you but you're right. You know, if um, what you're doing by saving the world is just literally beating the crap out of the Joker, right? If you're Batman. Yeah. Um, Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Well, and especially if the Joker is, um, you know, Joaquin Phoenix's Joker, right. the, which the, just the, like the, has, um, you know, it becomes a villain because of lack of access to quality healthcare, mm-hmm. mental healthcare. Right. Right. Um, so I mean, and even even within um, the uh, like other portrayals of the, you know, the Batman villains. I mean, the the Batman villains serve as really interesting cases. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's the whole Arkham Asylum, you know. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's 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 almost, you know, I mean, I think at, at various times, when, you know, when Batman, and it's, well, Batman in its various iterations has been around for a long time, and we used to talk about mental health differently. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we can talk about, we talk about Arkham Asylum. I remember, like, in the 90s, you know, um, that could be this fun, spooky place where all the villains are, you know, and I, there've been Legos of it over the years and these sorts of things, but really like in contemporary culture, that's a place you go to receive mental health services. Yeah, and help, <laughs> you know? help, treatment you know. and so forth. Right. right. And so like 60s Batman, you know, it's just this good guy. Um, yeah, I'm doing this pose where I flex my muscles now. And <laughs> I'm here to save the day, you know. Yeah. Um, but starting, you know, a little bit with Tim Burton's Batman and then, you know, subsequent, there's been an awful lot of exploration of, you know, Batman and, and um, um, Bruce Wayne's psychology and psyche. And, you yeah. know, um, it seems like, you know, nowadays each heroine says, you're just as crazy as they are and, and then leaves and so uh-huh. forth. Um, so, yeah, it, 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 in a lot of ways, I think that's sort of a, a nice shift. Uh but the way that I just described it, it's still sort of pejorative, right? In a way mm-hmm. that, that you don't want it to be. Which is what was beautiful about um, Joaquin Phoenix's Joker. It's like, that wasn't pejorative at all. That that was a sympathetic character with real problems who needed help. And then the, the people at, at the end that were, um, you know, celebrating him, you know, dressing like him and going mm-hmm. into the streets, they were kind of jerks, mm-hmm. right? They were people that, that managed to miss the point of that, right? They... Sort of the copycat jokers. Yeah, it, right. And, and to pick up on what you said about Bruce Wayne, um, I mean, and on the topic of saving the world, right? So what one thing Bruce Wayne can do to save the world is to uh, beat the heck out of the Joker, I guess. Another thing Bruce Wayne could do to save the world is to give some of his billions of dollars to people who are struggling from lack of access to food, shelter, and basic medical care. Mm -hmm. Right, right. 2020s me can't watch Batman without (laughs) at least one time thinking, gosh, I would wish Jeff Bezos would just (laughs) solve world hunger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He can do it, at least for a while. Right. I mean, yeah, nobody, um, I shouldn't say nobody, no well-meaning, rational, sane person uh-huh. looks at stories about crime-fighting billionaires in the way that we did in the 60s without thinking, you know, what is wrong with this There's something accumulation off. of yeah. wealth? You know, I, I think... To, you know, the, but I think that the... Um, 
the Marvel, the MCU does a better job. I don't say a better job, but does a does a noteworthy job in exploring that stuff with Tony Stark, mm-hmm. right? I mean, right. Even with Iron Man one, right? Um, uh-huh. He's sort of defending the industrial military complex early on. Mm-hmm. Has a personal experience and was like, whoa, you know, and that's that sets the tone for, you know, the next twenty movies. Yeah, and and like, what is what is he? What is the this these? What are these products that Stark Industries is making really doing? Mm-hmm. I mean, that that's I think that's part of the main arc of you know of like all the movies is. Um, our relationship to technology uh, and the money that goes into it and right whether any of that is really a good thing when there are other things we can do be doing with all that that those that money and resources right so there's uh, and Tony Stark realizes that mm-hmm. <laughs> throughout the series of the you know throughout the that that stage of the the MCU yeah, from capitalist to something like a utilitarian, maybe even, um, you know, so we make the yeah. sort of category leap. Right. Yeah, isn't that quite well, a utilitarian? No, 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 I think but, it is. But no. there's, there's big elements of it there. I think that that's one of the main takeaways take from Civil War, mm-hmm. right? You've got Captain America, who is a, a kind of the Kantian deontological figure, yeah. and you have Tony Stark, who's the consequentialist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The consequentialist and that's what's causing the rift. Slash in, realist, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Moon Knight. Right. So, so how how does this all relate to what we've been saying? Well, I think you know we were well, talking. Hold on. I can answer that question for you. We're talking a lot about virtues. Oscar Isaac has every virtue. <laughs> oh my gosh, he's so dreamy. <laughs> no, so I mean, we were talking about saving the world. Yeah, yeah. And when you're talking about saving the world, in some sense, you're talking about justice because you're talking about when you, if you're using the word saving, you have to. I, presumably, you have some concept of. Um, well, I guess that's the very thing at issue. What what justice consists in, but some concept of making the world better, mm-hmm. um, or some concept of making the world more fair. Yeah. So they, I think that's going to directly relate to criminal punishment, mm-hmm. right? Um, so if we had a world in which. Um, bad things only happen to good people and good things only happen to bad people. One way someone could go about saving the world is just to make it more just in the sense that the bad things happen to the bad people and the good things happen to the good people. Right. So, so criminal punishment, I think is part of our conception of what it is to have a just world. Um, So, so these are themes that are really strongly explored in Moon Knight, which I really enjoyed. I mean, I, I, I've heard some criticisms of it that I agree with. I think, you know, so my student yesterday was just saying, my student Patrick, hey Patrick, was just saying, hey Patrick, <laughs> was was talking about how the CGI was a little over the top mm-hmm. in Moon. But yeah, I mean, how else are you going to make some hippopotamus god? Right, right, but, right. But but it was. I mean, it, I, I thought it always looked fun though. You yeah. Know? So yeah. I can I can yeah. handle over the top. Yeah. And... One, I think probably the most significant criticism that I had of Moon Knight was that. Uh, there were really interesting philosophical themes being explored. But then, especially in the last few episodes, there was a lot of action that Mm -hmm. was um, 
I think, getting in the way of the exploration of those themes. Yeah, and we didn't, and we didn't get a real good treatment in comparison to what we did get, which was a real good setting up of the issue, right? It was framed. And then you're just sort of supposed to think that, you know, one side's right because they're the good guys. And So, yeah, do, should we mm-hmm. set that up a little bit? Sure. So I think the most relevant points to what we're talking about right now have to do with uh, the two different Egyptian gods. Uh, the whole story is kind of built around this idea that Egyptian gods are real and that um, Oscar Isaac's character is what they're calling um, the avatar of one of these gods. So, so his role as an avatar is basically, the, to the best that I can tell, I'm not sure that I'm interpreting this correctly, but to uh, essentially do the god's bidding, right? Um, to help that god achieve the god's conception of justice. So, um, so we have these two gods, one of which is actively working in the world, and the other one is, I guess, kind of trapped in this statue, has been banished into this statue. Uh, and and so, so, so the god that, that Mark Spector works for as, a, um, as an avatar is uh, Khonshu. And Khonshu has a conception of justice that's, more, that's a little closer to our understanding of it, although I think there's lots of room for criticism of it. And I think there's lots of room for criticism of our standard conception of justice as well. Um, so which is, you know, basically that um, people who do bad things deserve punishment. And, and in this case, sometimes pretty serious punishment. Um, so, but, but of course, that pu- punishment is carried out after they've committed the acts that they've done um, that have been bad. Right. And so then there's Amit and Amit is the God that is, uh, favored by Harrow, who's the show's main villain. And the Harrow, by the way, used to be the avatar of Conchu. Um, but Amit has this different kind of minority report. If folks remember that movie conception of justice, according to which it's, it's more consequentialist, right? So, um, Amit knows in advance who's going to do bad things. And uh, then those people are preemptively prevent punished. They're preemptively sort of prevented from doing the bad things. And in so that's killed, right? So. Right. So, um, and that, that makes, that makes one wonder it, in what sense is, is Amit perceiving the future, right? If, if what the future holds is for those people to not even be alive, then the future does not hold <laughs> right, them engaging in the acts that they're being punished for. It's a good, you know, paradoxical. Yeah, so in a sense, not even really a punishment, right? Just this yeah. sort of utilitarian, I'm going to bring about the better state of affairs, state of affairs by stopping the bad state of affairs. Um, right, that's fair. It, I mean, yeah. I mean, it's not fair, but it's, it, yeah, that's, yeah. I think that's a, that's, that's a reasonable... Hard to conceive of it as punishment. Right, right. unless you have this kind of backward-looking, like... Uh, and this this raises all sorts of interesting issues about like what it is to be omnipotent, mm-hmm. you know, what it is to know everything. Um, that that um, Amit can look into the future and see that this person is for sure going to do a bad thing, and so pu- then one might think it's possible to punish them before they do it. Mm-hmm. But then you you also think someone can't know something that's false. Truth is a, is a um, central component of knowledge, and so. Uh, if that person doesn't, in fact, ever do that, say because they're killed, then right. it's impossible for Ahmed to know that they, they you did lose it. The, the factive element. Yeah, I've thought about this a little bit, like um, in, in a way that doesn't involve omniscience. 
Um, so suppose that there are certain tells with certain people. Right? So I'm thinking about like raising our son. Um, mm-hmm. This is a bad example only because he just never got into trouble. But yeah. suppose we were raising somebody just like me growing up. <laughs> there, there were times where I was going to do bad things, you know, in a, in a kid's sense of the word. Um, throw a temper tantrum or something, you know, not steal a car. Um, and everybody could tell. You, you could just see what's coming. <laughs> so now imagine, you know, if, if my parents were, you know, smart about this or if I were smart about it. And sometime in advance, right, they, they sat down in a calm moment and said, we can tell when you're going to do a certain bad thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and your punishment for bad thing is two acts, right? Two units of go to your room, mm-hmm. two units of whatever they did. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'd like to give you the option in advance of we recognize you're about to do it. We want to punish you for it mm-hmm. so you don't, you learn not to do it. Mm-hmm. But if you will let us stop you before you do the bad thing, um, we'll only give you one X worth of punishment, right? Mm-hmm. So if it's two hours of go to your room, <laughs> which by the way is a horrible punishment in the sense that, you know, my room was a, you know, just a paradise of toys and, <laughs> you know, televisions and I had a drum set and a guitar, uh-huh. you know, great place to be, you know, uh-huh. banished to. Um, it wasn't Elba. So anyway, so, you know, if they would say, okay, we'll just, let's just make a deal in advance. Uh, but they could come up to me at any time and say, well, we can tell you're about to do the bad thing. Go to your room for an hour. Uh-huh. Um, should I assent to that? Right. It, it seemingly, if if I believe that they're accurate, that that's in my best interest. Now, this is different from the case, um, yeah. you know, because I'm not in um, Moon Knight because I'm not being exterminated, <laughs> right? But there is there's something sort of to this. Everybody suffers loss. The bad thing doesn't happen, which you know, in that instance, might have been you know. Um, pulling the dog's tail if I were four or something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, yeah, you know, the, the dog's not suffering and, mm-hmm. and I'm being punished half as much and learning a lesson. Yeah, I, right. So so there is there is just this tension here between um, consequences and fairness. Mm-hmm. So it's really about what justice, is, what we should be concerned with when we're talking about justice because I think, you know, what you're describing is, you know, does produce the best overall set of consequences, but still nevertheless does not seem fair. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, right. I mean, if, if I am being punished, I'm being punished for something I didn't do in each of those cases. But, but you know, you don't have to be omniscient to know I'm going to do it. I'm going to get the maniacal look. I start mm-hmm. lunging for the dog's tail. Mm-hmm. They grab my hand and say, that's an hour. We... Mm-hmm. So anyway, I didn't mean to, to divert the whole thing. But mm-hmm. I was just thinking that there are ways of conceiving of this without requiring a kind of omniscience or um, requiring the fact of yeah. stuff. You know, I wasn't punished for pulling the dog's tail. Um, by the way, I never did that. I, I love dogs. It's mm-hmm. just an example. I was punished for um, being about to, you know. Yeah. I- so maybe this is content, right? I'm, I'm being punished for my intention, right? Mm-hmm. Once the intention is there, it manifests itself on my face in a maniacal look or certain mm-hmm. gestures. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, you know this. This you know this reminds me of a, a common response to, um, you know, the the problem of divine foreknowledge for free will. Mm-hmm. You know, so um, we probably talked about this on the podcast before. We've got so many episodes now; it's hard to remember. But sixty five, <laughs> but it's so like um, this is this general concern that um, you can't have free will if God knows what you're going to do. Um, because if God knows what you're going to do, then 
it's already true what you're going to do, right? The, the truth, the truth value of the proposition that describes what you're going to do is already fixed. Yeah. Right. Um, so, so it, you, you can't do anything else, but so I'm just thinking, uh, in your thought experiment, uh, yeah, so what some people want to say, uh, how people want to, uh, people who engage in Christian apologetics in this point want to say, um, well, it's not that there are different ways to know. And one way that God would know propositions about the future is he would just be very good at predicting your particular behavior. Mm -hmm. Right. It's not, it's more of an inductive, uh, yeah. you know, that, that's a that's you know a very unsatisfying answer though, right? You said, Here's an omniscient being in virtue of just being one hell of a predictor. Yeah. It, it just reminds me of the 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 thought experiment you just gave because you you haven't in fact done the bad thing, but your parents mm-hmm. are really good at observing. Right. right. Um, if there have been three years of here, puppy, puppy, with the the devil look in my face, uh-huh. yeah. Every instance followed by a yanking of the tail. Yeah. Again, I didn't really do that. And one way of working all of this out, I think, this <clears throat> paradox of, you know, divine foreknowledge or whatever in terms in the MCU is I think it's pretty clear elsewhere in the MCU. And it's been made very clear recently in the MCU that um, there's a multiverse, mm-hmm. right? And and the multiverse, um, you know, there. It's this standard kind of story of different possible worlds, different ways things might have been. So in a sense, and one might think this is fundamentally unfair, Amit in um, punishing, if you want to call it that, I think you made a good case for not calling it that, but punishing someone before they've ever done anything is actually really an instance, if you want to kind of save it from the concern, the paradox concern, is really punishing someone in a different possible world, right? So Amit can see that in the world in which she did not kill you before you did the bad thing, um, you would have gone on to do the bad thing. Right. So essentially you're being punished for what a possible world counterpart mm-hmm. does, right? right? And they have right. lots of properties in common with you. Um, right. But, you know, on, on virtually no account of possible worlds is that you, except for maybe Kripke's account, which is possible worlds are different ways this world might have been. Mm-hmm. But then now you're back in the paradox, right? Mm-hmm. You're... It, it yeah. didn't happen. Right. You're being punished for it. Yeah, I mean, there are all sorts of ways <clears throat> things might have gone. <laughs> right. I mean, you know, uh, if you're just being, you shouldn't be punished for your options, right? You should be punished for what you actually did. Or, and those things aren't, weren't even actually genuine options. Anyway. It, it would be analogous to giving me a Nobel Prize this year for the possible world in which I got off my lazy ass 30 <laughs> years ago and came up with a, you know, really interesting... Um, new version of game theory, that, <laughs> you know, led to world peace. Because, uh, you know, at least on David Lewis's view, that possible world does exist. Mm. So bring it on. And I want the money. I'm actually more interested in the money than the, the award. Um, but the you're most Committee. interested in the world peace, of course. Well, no, no, because that happened in a different possible world. That's already off the table. Uh. I just, I just, you know, if you can punish people for what their possible world counterparts can do, you can honor them and pay them. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that sounds nice. Yeah. Uh, it, okay. Yeah, so, I mean, that really does highlight sort of the absurdity. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 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 So, I, so these two different conceptions of justice, um, and I, you're you're led to think. I mean, you're not supposed to think that Khonshu is this great character. I mean, um, everybody, you know, the whole main cast seems a little frightened of him and. There are times at which they fight him, and you know it's, um, 
Yeah, no, and he's he's mean spirited and vindictive and yeah, but, kind of petty and snarky. Yeah, uh, but you are, I think, kind of encouraged to think that his conception of justice is better. Although it's hard to know. I mean, I I thought that the series ended really prematurely. I thought there was much more to explore. Right, so what I suspect is that they're going to bring Moon Knight into the general MCU universe, into the movies and such, um, and and explore his character further, which would be awesome because I think this is a great character, but. Um, I think there are clear reasons for um, being very dubious of the conception of justice that Conchu advocates. It seems very brutal. Um, it's kind of eye for an eye, kind of vindictive ret- retribution, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so the, the show, so I think one of the reasons why I think they're teasing more of this is the show is already, well, there are lots of reasons. If, for that folks who watch the series will know, like the teaser at the end. But um, the show is already sort of exploring the concept of mitigating factors. Um, so one thing that you might think is wrong with Amit's view of free will, I mean, excuse me, Amit's view of justice, where you're punishing someone in advance, is that they're depriving a person of the ability to freely choose what they're going to do. You know, they could still presumably choose to not do the bad thing. So why are you punishing them before they've had the chance to make that choice? Well, I think with the with um, Conchu's retributive conception of justice, there's a similar thing going on, um, where um, Conchu is failing to recognize what the mitigating factors for acting freely might be, like what what might get in the way of genuinely acting freely. And I think we do he- that here um, in in the real world as well, um, in particular in the United States, which is. One of the most retributivist countries in in the world. We right. incarcerate and, more of our population, both by percentage and by numbers, than any country in the world. And, and more so all the time, right? I, I believe it was Oklahoma um, a week or so ago announced that they're going to execute 25 people on death row in the next so many months. You uh-huh. know, they're going to get caught up. Oh, that's yeah. I'm always <clears throat> hearing stories like that. I mean, I remember a time period where you know they were they, they you know they were executing folks they didn't want to run out of the serum i can't remember what state it was but they didn't want to run out of the serum that they were hard having a hard time finding more of um because the um europe won't ex- is their main exporter of it but they won't export it to us because we use it for the death penalty mm-hmm. um and so they're like well hurry kill all the people on death row before the our current stores of this um component of lethal injection expires right it's just mm-hmm. like oh my gosh we're brutal we're just brutal yeah i mean i'm not saying that uh the people who committed these sorts of crimes were like are deserving of our utmost sympathy or something but you know in many cases there's some pretty gnarly folks um but but for heaven's sakes right mm-hmm. i don't think we should be this bloodlusty and excited about the prospect of killing people as fast as we can and all this. And some, some of the people involved in that scenario I just described had like uh, mental health challenges that made it or um, um, intellectual disabilities that made it really dubious whether they should be executed in the first place. In any event, <laughs> uh, yeah, we're a brutal country. We're very retributivistic and we don't tend to take mitigating factors into consideration. Mm-hmm. Very well. So, like, even our understanding of what it is to um, be not guilty by reason of insanity has nothing to do with having mental health issues, right? Mm-hmm. It has to do with whether you were capable of understanding the difference between right and wrong. 
Right, right. Right? Yeah. Like, so That's it's, significant. it's, you know, I mean, one might think, let's say someone is um, severely um, schizophrenic or, you know, severely, severely bipolar or, mm-hmm. you know, has, has a mental health um, issue that really gets in the way of their making um, fully free decisions because they're, you know, overwhelmingly affected by this, this issue going on in their brain. Perhaps that should be a mitigating circumstance to, to whether you think that their that retributivist punishment is warranted. Maybe mental health services are warranted, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so so and I think you know in, in Moon Knight, they they're already laying all the groundwork for this just through um, the I guess dissociative identity disorder of the main character slash characters, right? I mean, which just as an aside means you get two Oscar Isaacs. Ooh. <laughs> okay. Anyway. That's actually not what I meant at the beginning. <laughs> just, Oscar Isaac is a great actor. Yeah. And, but he is terribly attractive. I mean, yeah, I think we can, we can admit this. So, so, uh, yum. Um, in the second to last episode, we see the cause of, Mark Spector and Stephen being two distinct uh, individuals. And that is that the, the, basically the trauma that Mark suffered as a child. And you know, his brother died in a way that Mark felt strongly personally responsible for, even though they were just kids and it obviously wasn't his fault. And the mother blamed him and then there was abuse that resulted. And to deal with the abuse, Mark split into... Stephen, right? Mark and Stephen. So Stephen would undergo the abuse. Um, at least this was my interpretation of it. And and so to keep Mark mentally healthy, such as as far as that goes, I don't know. Uh, uh, and and uh, so so you see already this exploration of like, well, if if Mark Spector is this deeply troubled that he's developed dissociative dis- uh, identity disorder. Um, is he, how, to what extent is he responsible for, for his actions? I mean, some of the choices that Mark makes... I, I, I mean, I don't even know how to appropriately talk about this. Some of the choices that Mark makes as Stephen, if that makes sense, uh, seem not attributable to Mark, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Even though Stephen is Mark in some sense, uh, it's really hard to identify what Mark is morally responsible for. Right, right. And Stephen, I mean, gosh, Stephen seems like a much nicer guy. Right. So, uh, Mark and Mark is seemingly much more violent. Um, so Mark is doing things that Stephen wouldn't think to do. Um, and so it certainly seems like Stephen isn't morally responsible for the more, uh, violent kinds of actions that Mark takes. Um, and so you're already led to think, so even though this is an extreme case, they're already exploring the ways in which, um, What's going on in a person's brain can have an effect on what they're responsible for and what what they've done freely. I mean, and I think that obviously the, those two questions are connected. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're some of the most famously connected two questions in the history of philosophy. Right, and it's that, nice against the background of um, you know retributivist exactly you know, yeah. pulling the strings. Yeah, so right, exactly. Um, because these are to some extent or other. Some might say to the greatest extent possible. <laughs> We're all like this, like 
we are not in control of our own brain chemistry. We are not in control of what neurons are firing in our brains at any particular time. We're not in control of environmental or social factors that are external to us. And yet all of these things, um, some might say determine what we do, but if you're not in that camp, at least strongly affect what we do. Yeah. Um, and that, that is really problematic for retributivism. I always think that unless someone's harmed me, in which case <laughs> I reserve the right to cherry pick and, and, and blame them anyway. <laughs> well, that's but, what we all do. But I'm wrong to do so, right? <laughs> admittedly so. Yeah, good. Yeah. So uh, if you haven't seen Moon Knight yet, I think it's, it's, it explores some really interesting themes. And I hope they bring those themes forward a little bit um, more in further iterations. Okay, right. What are we liking this week? Well, the thing we've liked the most in the the recent past is the last season of Better Call Saul. In fact, we liked it so much that we're like watching Breaking Bad again at night before we go to bed. Like uh, just getting back, and I want to watch El Camino and yeah, I and did. then watch Break Better Call Saul again. <laughs> yeah, and then we'll see where we are with with Breaking Bad. Um, yeah, there's a real strong desire not to leave this universe. Oh, it's so just good. Yet. And I, and I think that's a direct result, um, we're not going to say any spoilers, but just a direct result of how good the last season of Better Call Saul was, mm-hmm. and really the whole series. But, mm-hmm. but man, it, it it just got great. It was moving along. Um, yeah, people will know from the earlier seasons that there was a lot of sort of foreshadowing about a later time and the treatment of that, lots of fun. And, and I think this is not a spoiler. Um to say just an outstanding performance by a 90-something-year-old Carol Burnett oh, who, yeah. who just acts, right? I mean, it's just <laughs> Very good. Yeah. Get up there and act. It doesn't seem like, you know, an elderly person getting through their lines. She's got dramatic chops. Yeah. And, it, and it was amazing. You know, anyone from my generation that, um, you know, and some subsequent generations that grew up watching the Carol Burnett show just mm-hmm. had to love that. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. it, was, it was amazing. Okay, yeah, so another thing that, that we're not liking, but that I'm liking. Um, let me just set this up a little bit. So, um, uh, yeah, a colleague and friend, um, Josh Heater and I are um, editing some books together. We just finished one on punk rock, and I think we're going to do an episode um, this season on it. Um, and we're currently um, editing um, a collection of essays on The Godfather, right, for the 50th mm-hmm. anniversary of the... Um, first Godfather movie, right? It's been more than 50 years since the book. Um, so there's a, a show on Paramount Plus called The Offer, which is you know Albert Reddy who produced The Godfather telling the story of the making of that. And um, so I had to watch it sort of very quickly for editorial um, reasons. And so Rach is going to watch it, but it hasn't had the chance yet. Um, but I haven't been this obsessed with a show in a long time. Interestingly, part of it's not very good. It's got this kind of, um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a great story and great characters. And then some of it's kind of just sort of hackneyed, Hollywood sensational. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's looking back through a, you know, a very um, colorful lens. I think they're trying to get kind of a madman vibe going. And some of that works and some of it doesn't. Don't care, right? Mm-hmm. Um, this is, you know, something that, that just will happen to me from time to time um usually you know if something seems not that great it feels not that great this seems not that great and yet it was addictive i imagine this is in a way what it's like for people who um 
start watching soap operas, you know, <laughs> go through, right? Just like, yeah, I know, it's a little melodramatic, it's a little over the top, don't care. Um, all that said, it's a mixed bag. I highly recommend it. It, mm-hmm. it was just so much fun to see. And it, and it's nice um, because, you know, it, it has um, people playing the main actors, it has people playing the principals, you know, Francis Ford Coppola and Albert Reddy and so forth. Um, but mobsters actually got involved, and these are these are true stories, right? Mm. So um, it kind of feels like The Godfather. And then one of the hackneyed things, but I didn't I didn't hate any particular instance of it. They just took lines from The Godfather and put them into the thing. Yeah, they they'd be auditioning an actor or an actress, and you know before their audition starts, they'd say one of the things, and they go, "We can use that." Yeah, kind of... I, I I was walking by one time, and I heard someone say like leave the cannoli or something yeah 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 right I mean, yeah there's a whole bunch of those those kinds of things um i guess they're easter eggs i don't know um yeah, yeah. sort of sort of not but yeah um very fun and like i said i, I was sucked in but i did feel a little smarmy being <laughs> as, as sucked in as i was um the other thing that that um i really enjoyed or i shouldn't say that and use a definite description i enjoyed lots of things since we've seen you Mm-hmm. But that stands out. Um, season two of Russian Doll oh, came yeah. out. Uh, that was great. You know, season one is on, um, you know, time loops. Uh, we did an episode um, on uh, Groundhog Day Phenomenon. I think we'll do one on Russian Doll as well. Um, season two is more about time travel. And they, the exploration is just as deft and the, um, you know, the, the dialogue's fantastic. The acting's great. And that the story is equally compelling. It is no drop off. I hope they do a season three. Yeah, you know, so based on the Netflix, you know, the Netflix right, at least our Netflix interface or interfaces um, show, shows if the show's been nominated for Emmys, and it says that on Russian Doll for the season two Emmy nominee. So I don't know mm-hmm. what it's been nominated for, but it, the cinematography was really good. Um, and well, I'll warn you, it's trippy. Like mm-hmm. it's, it, it, this one is the first season. I, I mean, I scarcely would have described the first season as linear. The second season is kind of pretty non-linear in certain ways. And it, the, the cinematography was such that I felt like I was going in a tunnel or, I mean, like sometimes it, you, I was physically reacting to the cinematography. It was so wappy mm-hmm. and very cool, but, you know. Yeah, just just but take some drama, well <laughs> but, you know. But you, you get like Amy Poehler and people like that, you know, creating a show, and it's bound to be good. And um, yeah, you get it. That was news to me. Yeah, or... but it was, she, she's one of the yeah. the, the principals. Yeah. Um, yeah, and you know, uh, and Natasha Leone is great yeah. and Charlie Always Burnett great. and stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah, just good cast. Um, Gosh, I'm gapping on the name from Schitt's Creek. Um, Annie Murphy. Oh, oh, has yeah, a, yeah. Has a yeah. smallish part, bigger than smallish. Great to have, great to big. see her though. She's wonderful. So good, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm a, I'm a fan. Schitt's Creek was great, and I'm enjoying Kevin Kniff himself. And yeah. um, we'll probably have a little more to say about that coming up. And then the, the other thing, I don't know, um, half-hearted endorsement. Uh, we we talked before we started recording. Um, I like this more than Rach does, and I think interestingly, at first I didn't. Um, it's not great or anything, but I'm liking only murders in the building, and and the only reason we're bringing this up because there's a lot of things that we've watched since we last uh, did an episode that we like about that much is there's just some kind of novel going on, right? Which is 
the reason I like it as much as I do, and I think whatever you like about it, it's this. Mm-hmm. It's Martin Short, mm-hmm. right? So that you get the show with you know, Selena Gomez, Martin Short, and Steve Martin. And you wouldn't think, wow, Martin Short's... The... Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't mean to diss Martin Short because he's, he's doing great work. But, um, you know, you, you would think, oh, there's a new Steve Martin thing and yeah. it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Steve Martin's just a curmudgeon in this, right? And, and I... I also do, I, I think that's right. And I, I also don't want to suggest that I don't like the show. I just don't, I think it's very cozy and fun. And it like, I think we've talked about this before in the podcast, but I, I, I think it's charming mm-hmm. and fun to watch. Yeah. No, I, just, I just don't think, I don't think it's like, you know, it's not inspired storylines or whatever, but it's not supposed to be. It's light, fluffy, fun, comedic. Right. Right. Yeah. So, so when you've been off for seven months and you watch, you know, 3,900 things, Mm-hmm. Why do you pick that one out? There's got to be a good reason if you don't love it. And that's just for me. I just kind of want to say, wow, Martin Short. Yeah. These are words I never thought I would say. Um, you know, yeah. other things is, you know, uh, gosh, sorry, I pulled the dog's tail, right? Because mm-hmm. um, I didn't do that. And, um, you know, that's a thing I would never say. Oh, look, dear, there's a round square. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it's in that category for me. So, <laughs> yeah, good job, Marty. So hit us up with things on, on social media if you're enjoying something. Uh, we've had a little bit more participation on our social media lately and have enjoyed that. So we'd love to hear from you about what you're, what, what kinds of things you've been interested in in pop culture. Yeah. Tell us what you like. And, and if you want to further tell us what you like about it, who knows, when we, we'll, we'll bring it up. But yeah. yeah, Bernie from Topeka says, you know, Moon Knight's no good because mm-hmm. um, of the costume suck or something. And, you know, and we'll explore that. <laughs> Thanks, Bernie. Okay, Rach. Well, that's a wrap. Episode 65 is in the can. Um, Once again, we'd like to thank you for tuning in. Um, If you're interested in supporting this um, podcast, please go to our webpage. That's IThinkTheforeIFan.com, all one word. And um, click on the donation link and you can become one of our Patreon sponsors. Um, We'll be back in a couple of weeks with the next episode and look forward to seeing you then. 